Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everyone. We are back this week with part two of my conversation with Mayu Lunakund. In part one, we talked a little bit about how she got started in sled dog sports and how she left her home country of Estonia to travel to Sweden and work for some working kennels. We also talked about the realities of living in a van with two dogs, both positives and some of the challenges that she faced. And finally, we started our conversation about these big adventures, big overnight backpacking trips and ski trips. And today, we're going to dive in deep to one of those trips. Mayu and her two Alaskan Huskies had a pretty big nature adventure recently. She had a winter through hike with a pair of skis and a polk sled, and she and her dogs navigated some pretty intense storms and beautiful terrain all by themselves. And so today for part two, you're going to hear a little bit about her planning for that trip, some of the challenges she faced, and how you can start putting some bigger adventures on your radar. The first thing is to know that everything has to come from step to step. I start. I did my first solo overnight backpacking trip in 2016, so not very long ago. It was my first time when I was out alone and it was in summertime in Estonia and I was so scared. I was so scared. I didn't have a lot of gear knowledge, uh, but that's how I started, you know. And actually before that, I had never done a, a solo like overnight trip anywhere. And I tried to do it just as a car camping trip. And I thought I would sleep in a tent. I was so afraid that I slept in the car. And, you know, these are the steps you need to build on. So first, you know, car camping, then uh, overnight hiking trips, and then two night hiking trips, and then four nights, and then a week, and then 10 days, if you want to do long things, or you switch up your environment, where do you go? So over the years, I switched up my levels on summer hiking and by 2019 which was three years later I was like okay winter a next level so I started to do the winter hikes but I said as beginning I said our training process to be a uh, like a wilderness guide and uh, sled dog musher in the arctic was also very gradual we started out very slow or like very small steps of course at that time this small step felt huge right because every every step I felt a little bit scared and I think that's like a really good sign that you are taking the right step because then you advance and you learn so by 2022 I was like okay I am experienced enough to take the, the, the next step of doing like a month long winter through hike with my dogs because I had done all of these other things. I had been out with dogs before on, on the mountains, but with a team, you know, with other people. And I had been out uh, with my one dog for a few days in, in the snow. So 
all of these other steps are a requirement to do these bigger things. So if you wanna if you wanna end up doing these big things, you you just you you have to take a little step from your current level. And feeling afraid uh, is totally normal. And yeah, then then that's how you that's how you prepare because you have the previous knowledge. So how I prepared for my King's Trail, which was four hundred and sixty kilometers. Um, in winter time in the Swedish mountains it's just I gathered the knowledge that I had from my previous trips previous dog sledding trips and ski trips and just uh, made things work of course it wasn't perfect my gear wasn't perfect my planning wasn't perfect but one thing was constant uh, before these steps I have felt a little bit scared of course excited but uh, also scared and uh, yeah, I was just looking back at my vlog from the first day and I was like, I was, I, I remembered how nervous I was. I was, uh, I was nauseous. I was so nervous that I felt nauseous, but I did it. And, um, and uh, the point that you raised or asked, how do you prepare mentally is a really good point because on my last trip on the King's Trail, I didn't prepare mentally because I was so caught up in the physical preparation, all of the supply packs, because there's a lot of food that I needed to send to the trail. All of the dog training and gear, I, I had to make my own little pulk sled that I could use with two dogs. All of the like practical things were so occupied in my mind that I forgot that you do have to prepare mentally as well. So on the first day when all of the planning was behind me, I was like, oh, crap, now I have to actually do it. And it's not my skis that will ski. It's not my sled that will sk sled. It's not actually my feet. It's the brain up here that will do all of the work. And um, the first week was tough because I came into very close contact of all of the thoughts that are supernatural in any hike that is a little bit challenging. Why am I doing this? Why am I not home? Uh, it's cold, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm wet, uh, can I quit? And yeah, mm -hmm. uh, on the second day I was thinking, what are the criteria for me to quit? Because I was actually thinking, I don't know if I can do this. <clears throat> uh, and uh, how I came over that, because I couldn't, I couldn't help myself, I, when I got into a next village or next town, I contacted a therapist and we did a Zoom therapy session or it was more like a counseling or like coaching session where she really helped me. Like, and it was very simple things, but again, I needed some outward perspective into the topic. And then we wrote down some things that I need to remember or what I can repeat in my head when things go wrong or like when things are hard. Uh -huh. And I can actually repeat them now to everybody. Maybe it helps because it's so basic. But at that point, I didn't come up with that. So when I did a trip, I was super nervous that um, something will go wrong. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have two dogs. I have super I have a 40 kilo sled with me and I'm all by myself. I don't have a teammate to rely on. And all of these thoughts keep uh, kept rolling in my head. 
like over and over and I couldn't enjoy uh, the moment at all. I couldn't enjoy the environment, the hike. I was just so stuck in my head. So with my therapist, uh, we wrote down four things uh, that I need to answer when I have those thoughts. So the first one is, am I safe? Like, am I physically safe? It's like, I'm not on a cliff. (laughs) I'm not freezing, you know, I, 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 am I healthy? Yes. Okay. Very good. Are the dogs healthy? Yes. Okay. Do I have enough food? And do the dogs have enough food? Yes. Okay. And the last thing was, do I know the weather forecast for the next days? Because uh, it, it was a place where I didn't have reception at one point. And in the mountains, it's super important for you to know the forecast to make the next moves, you know, right. either to stay in your tent or find the cabin or you can safely go out. So these were the four questions I needed to ask myself. And if I answered all of them, I was allowed, I, I allowed myself to stop thinking about it for an hour. You know, and when my thoughts came back, I still needed to answer these four questions. And then I was like, okay, now I can enjoy for an hour because I was constantly worried that something will happen. Right. And that, and of course, these questions can be different for everybody or your worries can be different. But what really helped again is out, outside perspective. Either is it a therapist or a really good friend or somebody mm-hmm. you can trust. And after that, it was uh, not easy breezy, but it was so much easier because I tackled that mental part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting because it's like, you can prepare all the lists that you want. You can pack to perfection. You can plan where you're going to stop and how far you're going to go each day. You can physically train for it. Right. But once you're actually out there doing the thing, it really usually ends up being our own minds and our own thoughts that bring us down the fastest. It's, it's easy for us to beat up on ourselves or think, oh gosh, I can't do this. And being able to have strategies to in the moment kind of stop that train of thought and get you back on track, I imagine was really helpful in giving you the strength to keep moving forward with your dogs. Yeah. And uh, as they say, you run a marathon with your mind, not your legs. And it's the same with dog sledding, you know, uh, if a dog is weak mentally, it doesn't matter how much you train them. It's the, it's the mind that keeps going. Uh, or keeps them going, even if it's super tough weather or they're tired, it's the mind. So you have to train the mind. So my recommendation is, uh, yeah, really, really think, why do you want to do it? I didn't think, I just knew I want to do it, but I didn't dive into the why. It's oftentimes, it, it, this is how I do it. I just have a thought and I do it and I think it's fun, but for such a long project, I really needed the why, like why I need to do it, why I want to do it. And also think ahead, what are actually the qualifications that you allow yourself to cancel or shorten the trip? Mm -hmm. Because once you're out there uh, and you haven't figured out sort of the reasons or the places or like situations, 
uh, and it gets tough, the thought immediately jumps to, I will quit. Mm -hmm. uh, what hikers all the time say that don't quit on the hardest day. You can't. Yeah. So it's the same. You can't quit on the hardest day. You have to have a, like a thought gone into it a little bit. Uh, eventually, I actually figured out for myself that when I had to send my older dog home because she she had sun blindness because of the snow and the mountains and the sun and her really light eyes. And I decided that I had to send her home and not even sending one dog home was enough for me to cancel the entire trip. But I only figured it out later. I should have thought about it earlier on, like, okay, what kind of injuries or how many days off do, if, if I need to stay off the trail for a week, is this enough for me to cancel? Mm -hmm. uh, so these kinds of thoughts would be beneficial to think a little bit beforehand. So you have the answers ready and you don't get into the thought spiral. Should yeah. I quit? You know, I was thinking of quitting on the second day and it was just because I was cold and tired. Yeah. Nothing else, nothing was else, nothing else was wrong. I was just cold and tired. Um, but I was already thinking, oh, is this enough to quit? Anyway, yeah. A yeah, rambling I think, answer. Yeah. No, I, I think that's great though. It's like again, kind of along the lines of preparation, we think of those physical things. We think of the training, but along with planning these big adventures, especially adventures with dogs, right? We always kind of have to prepare for the unexpected. Like what kinds of things can go wrong and how would I handle it? What would I like to do in that moment? Because sometimes when we're in that moment, we might not be thinking as clearly as we would when we're outside of it, right? We might be stressed out. We might be worried. We might be exhausted. So having those Absolutely. kind of plans ahead of time might help us, you know, be prepared for those moments in which we really cannot prepare. Absolutely. And I also recommend having like uh, one friend that is on speed dial that you mm -hmm. maybe you warn ahead that you have to call them before you actually decide that you will quit, you yeah. know, or like before you do these uh, things alone in, in a, in like uh, hard situations, because you get so stuck in your head that I can't do this anymore. This is bad. This is bad. Uh, and I also did that when, when I had my, uh, had the issue with my dog and I was like, is this all for, for all of us? Because I don't, I don't know how long can I stay here. I don't know how long her eyes will recover. Like I have mm -hmm. to quit. There's no other way. And then my friend says like, oh, calm down now. Like uh, it's actually not so serious. There are options, this, 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 this. You know, it, it, it takes you out of your spiral a little yeah. bit. Um, and that helps. You're not alone with those thoughts then, which yes, is definitely. a dangerous place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the trail, because I think a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with the route that you took and kind of how far you went. Give us kind of a little overview of um, the trail and how many days and, and all of that. Yes. So the King's, King's Trail or Kungsleden Trail is very popular uh, long distance hiking trail in, um, in north of Sweden. It starts... Oh, you can actually do it both ends. Uh, half of it is above the Arctic Circle and the other half is below the Arctic Circle. It's uh, 
uh, it's about 300 or like, or let's say about 400 kilometers long, but it will change during the winter time because the winter trail or the trails that you can use during winter time are a little bit different than you can do on summertime. In summertime, it's super popular trail to hike because it has mountain cabins uh, with staffed people. So you can ask help if you need to. You don't need to carry your tent to all of the sections. You can do it in, uh, usually people do it in a month or like 20 to 30 days. And it's very up and down because it goes on the, uh, in the Swedish mountains and the layout of Swedish mountains is uh, or the Scandinavian mountain range, it's uh, it's like this uh, big uh, back ridge that is uh, runs along the Norwegian and Swedish border. It's like a ridge that goes from the center of Sweden to the north all the way. And the the mountains are or the ridges are sort of like a little bit chopped up by rivers that come from the top and then flow down. So the trail goes not on the top of the ridge, but on the edge, on the Swedish edge, but it goes over these ridges. So you go to the valley, down to the valley, up down to the valley. So every day you will have at least uh, one ascent and descent um, over these like little hills. No, they're not hills, they're like mountains, but they're like the tail end of the mountains. So the area is extremely beautiful. They call it the last wilderness of Europe because it is a, it's a remote place. There are some sections that even don't have cabins. In summertime, it's like a hiking trail. You can do it how, how many kilometers per day you can actually walk, you know, depends on your fitness level. But on wintertime, highly dependent on the weather and the snow conditions. So I had days where I did a full day skiing and we covered 13 kilometers because we had a lot of ups ups and a lot of soft snow. Mm -hmm. And we had days where I did 30 kilometers without even breaking a sweat because uh, it was warm and then it was freezing during the night night time and in the morning everything was ice and super slippery. Mm -hmm. So in the winter time, it's highly dependent on the snow conditions. And yeah, I hiked between 12 and 30 kilometers per day, or like we skied. And I had two dogs, two sled dogs pulling in front. They were attached to the pulk sled that I had uh, tuned up a little bit um, to be more safer, a little bit more durable, and with an extra brake at the back. So when we go downhill, I could break the sled and I was attached to the sled and I was skiing with a little backpack on me at the back of the sled. So uh, the dogs were doing the uh, major pulling part and I was at the back. And sometimes I just tried to keep up because they had a lot of power. <laughs> Does that winter weather and variability make it hard for you as you're looking to plan something yes. like that? Because you might not know how far the weather will allow you to travel in a day. That's the most difficult part of this kind of winter hike because uh, you can't really plan more than maybe two days ahead because that's the 
window, you have sort of reliable weather forecast. Mm -hmm. So it's highly dependent on snowfall and temperatures and also storms. Uh, a lot of the trail is above tree line. So when you have a, a snowstorm, you you really don't want to be above the tree line. So you have to know when to seek shelter uh, in a cabin and maybe stay there for extra day or maybe stay in your tent for an extra day uh, below the tree line just to be safe because you don't want to you don't want to go there when it's like super it's just dangerous so that definitely makes it harder uh, and you, you just have to plan for it so what I did was uh, I had a Garmin GPS with me that I could uh, order weather forecast through the satellite so that was one way to get the forecast even if I didn't have reception the other thing is the trail does have cabins and wind shelters and like emergency shelters, not everywhere. But if you if you know a few days ahead and you know that you have a storm coming, you you can reach them and stay there for an extra day, for example. And also, I always had extra food for me and the dogs with me for that case. Uh, if I need to stay extra days on that section because of the weather so for me I was actually extremely lucky that I didn't have to take days off because of the weather I was uh, it just happened that the days that we were skiing even though we had really slow days they weren't dangerous and some stormy days I already had planned the day off in a little village or town that I had reached was there anything about the trail or kind of your experience out there that was really unexpected for you? Maybe something that planning wise you hadn't thought of or oh. kind of an experience you had that, you know, you weren't prepared for. I have a really good one related to dogs. Um, I was uh, very worried about how do I plan the dog food for the entire trip? Because if the dogs are working, Mm -hmm. They need to get their calories. And if they don't get their calories, I'm screwed because I can't sled with a 40 kilo sled and two dogs without right. them not pulling, you know. So I was very, very careful how I plan my food. And at the beginning, actually, I calculated a wrong daily calorie intake. I just took an estimate online for an active dog. And it didn't come to my mind, uh, although I should be experienced sled dog musher, you know, <laughs> that an active dog and a working sled dog, it's not the same. Yeah. So finally, I figured that out and I doubled the food and calories, the calorie intake. But it was sort of like an optimal calorie um, number for a day. But before we started out for the first week, they didn't have the appetite of that calorie. So I calculated about 4,000 calories per dog per day. And they didn't eat it because we just started out, you know, everything was new. Even I didn't eat all of my calories because I was nervous and I, mm -hmm. you, you just don't have that appetite. Right. So I had tons of leftover food that uh, I just... Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want to carry with me because it's super heavy. 
and I was really like sad to throw it away because I had yeah. new food coming in with the supply bags. Uh, so it's just for the first week, they definitely ate much less, maybe 2,500 calories or something like that, if I give some approximate number. But at the end, especially on the very heavy sections, they did eat all of their food and had a very good appetite. So the calories were needed, but just at the beginning, it was not okay. a number. Those supply drops are really interesting for me, um, as somebody who has only done the shorter trips where we just take everything we need with us from day one, I imagine that that takes some careful planning for more remote excursions like that versus something like the Iditarod where, you know, the race would coordinate a little bit more of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you plan what supplies will be needed and then how you kind of get it to the parts of the trail where you'll need it? That was a major stress point. It's stressful, it's difficult because depending on the length of your trail, uh, you need to think so much ahead. So I had to think a month ahead. What would I like to eat? And of course, I did some mistakes and the amounts and everything. But on, on that particular trail, because it is a popular summer hiking trail, I found some information online. Where are the the towns that have road connection that the post the postal services uh, send packages. So there were three points along the trail that you could send packages. One of them was just a shop, like a local village shop, and they are used to getting hiker packs there. So it was easy to just send back there with your own name. And two of them were mountain mountain cabins fjall station in in swedish so like these big mountain stations where you have tons of staff and restaurant and hotel basically not not the mountain cabins but like mountain stations and they are also used to getting uh, hiker boxes during summer times so it wasn't a new thing during winter time as well so i just contacted them and asked specific um, uh, guidance how can i send the box to myself to them Mm -hmm. And they they just gave me the information because it's a daily thing for them. Yeah, in general, you just either Google or you find stores or postal offices close by that you, you can send packs. Uh, I would say some of these places also had sh small shops. It is worth considering how much do you need to send in front and how much do you just buy from the local shop? Mm -hmm. uh, even though when those small shops can be expensive, more expensive than, you know, your local grocery store, think about uh, how much do you spend on the shipping itself? Mm -hmm. And also because if you do a longer trip, two weeks, three weeks, your appetite or like your cravings will change. And you want to have that flexibility of buying new things. Uh, at one point, I was like, uh, I was sad to throw some things away because mm -hmm. I had already bought them. But I was like, I don't want to eat them. I just can't force them in. I wanted to buy something else from the little shop or little cabin store. So that's just you figure out what what the trail offers but usually if you do like a trail that is uh, more popular you will find tons of information online where you can find the 
where you can ship your packages but it is like it is expensive so but i sent the packages because i knew uh, i had a specific dog food that i wanted to use right so i was already sending it uh, for the dog food and then i added my own food into it as well it's a specific dog food because they are small shops they only have this pedigree right some general grocery store, very low quality dog food that I couldn't use. Right. That makes sense. You don't want to upset their stomachs too, by introducing no. something new while you're out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that doesn't have half the calories that you actually need. Right. Now I know that you mentioned that your older dog ended up having some issues with eyes and snow blindness. How did having to send that one dog home and continue with just one impact your plans? Definitely it made my life more uh, harder because I had to work more. <laughs> having two sled dogs pull you is a totally different thing than one. But mm-hmm. fortunately, my one dog is the younger one. She is a machine of a worker, absolute champion, Um Sometimes I, when she's annoying in the van or in the apartment, I need to put a, like a big picture of the hike on my wall to remember that the, her natural environment is somewhere else and this is where she thrives. So mm-hmm. she was working extremely hard and pulling the sled all by herself. Uh, and I had to ski more. I didn't have the pull of the dog so much as a help and uh, my backpack was heavier. So physically it was harder. But what actually hap- uh, happened, like in terms of kilometers per day, is I found myself pushing harder because I was holding back of the older dog because I knew that she, she, I, di- I didn't want to push her too much. Mm-hmm. I wanted us to finish all together and I didn't want to push her over, over the edge where she's too tired and doesn't want to start in the mornings anymore. So when when I only had myself and my younger dog, who is a machine, I actually pushed really long days and I enjoyed it. I was like, I can do it. She can do it. We just go. So mm-hmm. that was a very surprising effect on our little team. But of course, I was devastated that I had to send her home because it's, you know, you you it's your little team and yeah. you you so grow into the rhythm of having them around. But I was very fortunate that I could send her, well, I say home, but I sent her, my friend came and picked her up uh, at a a point where there was a road connection and took her to the kennel that she grew up in Okay. because I finished my hike around there. So I picked her up after we finished the hike. So actually everything was good. And she was tired. I know that when, when she went to the car, she was happy to sleep. So yeah. A little bit of sadness to see her go and to not be with her, but also maybe a little relief knowing that she was in good hands and that you and your younger one could kind of push on. Yes, exactly. And I was happy that she went home because the last stage was was really tough. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of warm weather. Uh, it started to have like plus degrees during the daytime. And that that is harder for sled dogs, especially right. older dogs. So uh, it was a major relief not to have to worry about her and we could just, you know, power through with the younger dog. Yeah. Now talk to us a little bit about 
finishing something like that? Because I can imagine that it's a complete life adjustment going from being on the trail in a very remote place, doing the same thing every day to then kind of having to go back to quote your normal life. Are there kind of mixed emotions about that? Do you plan some recovery time after a big trip like that? Um, it's definitely a major change. <clears throat> before that, my longest trip, uh, before this 20, we were out 26 days. Before that, my longest trip was 10 days. And I did uh, experience the same feelings on that trip as well. So the longer the trip, uh, I suggest having um, if it's a month-long trip, at least a week where you don't plan anything. Because especially in places when you even don't have reception or when you limit your use of internet because you want to keep the batteries, you are so into your own world, your own pace, and the pace, not only daily pace, but your pace of the thinking slows down. And it's just this gradual like flow and getting back to the media or like information uh, space hits you a little bit. So uh, this has been both times was the hardest part to not overwhelm myself too quickly with the media. Because of course, now now I'm on my phone as much as ever, you know, but uh, the, the transition, I really gave myself time and kept myself away from my phone and internet as much as I could. And I actually didn't want to, because I, I really enjoyed, you know, just sitting somewhere and staring at the sky and not thinking of anything, because that's what you do when you're out on hikes. So coming back from that, I'm really sad that now I have lost that ability again. So I need to go out again, but I would say at least week for me was when I was sort of, I didn't want to read anything. I didn't want to talk to so many people. I just wanted to stay in my little cocoon. But of course, after the trip, super tired, super hungry. I ate so much. And uh, I remember two days after the trip, a really good friend of mine asked like, oh, okay, now you're back. Like, would you go again? No, never don't go as well it's horrible so it is totally normal to have these thoughts after the hike now of course I think of course I would go again what are you thinking and I want to go again I want to do something again but after the hike the feeling of like oh my god this is so tiring and exhausting and I missed my bed so so much how could I leave it for so long time so that's totally normal so with those kind of feelings, now that you've recovered a little bit mentally and you've forgotten maybe that immediate sensation of pain and hunger and cold, are you planning another adventure for yourself? Have you kind of thought about what you'd like your next big thing to be? I don't have a next big, big thing, uh, but I know uh, it, it wants to come, uh, but I, I don't have a, a specific idea yet. It's more more uh, connected to my dogs because that's how I got into like skiing and skiing and doing these winter hikes because this is something I can do with my dogs. Mm -hmm. And now as one of my dogs is getting older, I, I, I just have to 
take into account that we have to think have to I have to do things that still uh, are comfortable for her mm-hmm. so this spring I definitely want to do at least a week-long trip somewhere uh, so that's definitely in the in the plans but I will take it real slow maybe just to some national park and do a loop or just more like a chill camping yep. style because that's just so fun for them as well you know yeah. and now as I've been working with sled dogs they also run in the team when I'm working especially the younger one Linka so they're all nice and well trained yeah so it's very good to use that training <laughs> um, but uh, something more bigger uh, I, I will just let the plans and ideas come to me uh, but they will definitely because once you do those big things you see that they are very doable Mm-hmm. and uh, you start to crave and you understand how much you can actually do that everything is possible it's so cheesy but you understand that everything is possible even for me who like I have to emphasize I am no athlete like if people are listening and thinking like "Ooh, adventures like no I don't physically train before hikes that's maybe that's why I suffer but uh, that's okay I know every time that I will suffer and I'm okay with that Uh, I don't I don't do any specific training so so just people know that you can still go outside and enjoy things (laughs) I I love that I just manage my daily kilometers accordingly you know don't do 40 kilometers to yeah to 15 manage those expectations again kind of back to that same theme for yourself yep. and for your dog yep 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 exactly I love that well for our listeners who are you know kind of looking to maybe get outside their comfort zone a little bit right and kind of experience some growth and maybe try a new adventure do you have any tips for them or anything that you would like to share to kind of help them get started I would say that uh, just take the next step. Think about something that scares you a little bit and still do it uh, because you can do it. Our mind is just designed to keep us alive. So not every time it says the right things for us, Uh, especially nowadays because we have all of this information online that you can study beforehand. We have so good gear. We have satellite gps things uh, that are so small that we can send sms's not only send emergency call but you can actually send sms's to your family and say or ask or whatever you want to do so we have so much technology that our primal brain that is designed to keep us alive in the caves and wherever they lived is not a very good indicator anymore of course, be safe. Don't don't rush into things. But I would say we are more scared than we are capable of. So just take the next step and adjust your adventures to your dogs. When I first started out with hiking dogs, I had such a big ideas that, oh, hiking with a dog, like uh, my dog will love it. Uh, whatever kilometers we do dogs are designed to be outside and they are always energetic so I had all of these misconceptions and uh, I had to really dismantle those to adjust everything to the dog because if the dog is happy I am happy so everything uh, 
has to be according to that expectation. Uh, so don't think that all dogs can do everything. But at the same time, I would say on one of my trips, I saw a little uh, Chichuahua who did a four-day skiing trip without resting on the sled. I love it. Like she was just hanging around with uh, their parents next to the skis, like just running little Chichuahua. I think they skied like 15 to 20 kilometers per day. I was like, okay, like no, no judgments here. Uh, yeah. A lot of dogs can do a lot of things. So yeah. just try it out. Yeah. We, I think, I think we can often set limitations on ourselves and on our dogs. And while it's important to be aware of true limitations, don't, I think, don't let those fake ones that we put up to protect ourselves, hold us back. Yeah. I think the key is maybe not to uh, think too much beforehand, but learn the cues that your dog shows you Mm -hmm. and really listen to that. Yep. Like really, it's for me, it's okay to push myself because mm-hmm. I, I always say that I can suffer. It's fine. But don't make your dog suffer because then they will remem- remember it and the, mm-hmm. then they don't want to come with you anymore. I think that's the mistake that I did with my first dog because I didn't uh, know the cues that she was showing me. Yep. And I think I just pushed her a little bit too far. And that's why she decided that she doesn't want to hike with me anymore because she was like, not going to do that again. Uh, although she was fine, but just her limit was pushed. Right. So just learn the cues, be very observational. But at mm-hmm. the same time, yeah, if uh, really, if a Chichuahua can do an Arctic ski hike. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that our listeners will get a lot out of this. It was very real. And I think that that's really important when we're talking about our adventures because they can be incredible, but there's also a lot of, you know, physical and mental barriers that we have to get through. And that's the reality of it. And so I think that talking about that stuff is really important because it makes these types of adventures accessible to people, you know, and they go, okay, that, that happened, you know, but I can do it and I can, I can get through that. And so I think that a lot of people will really find value from everything you shared with us today. Yeah. I hope, I hope people did find value in that. And I hope uh, they, you know, go out with their dogs. Yeah. It's the, it's the most fun thing, you know? Absolutely. I hope you all enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed speaking with Mayu. It really was inspiring. And I got to say, I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to look at some bigger adventures that might be on my horizon this coming fall. Before we head out for the day, I'd like to give a special shout out to Matt, who gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Matt says, I gave up sprint racing about 30 years ago. After adopting a very active mutt, my wife suggested I pull out an old harness as I trained for another marathon. I didn't even know Canacross was an event. Training dogs with the help of internet resources like your podcast is so much easier. I started competing again and can't wait to get more dogs. Matt, I'm so glad to hear that the podcast has been helping you and maybe we'll meet up at an event sometime. If you guys have been joining in the podcast, please feel free to head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave us some positive feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So 
Until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails. Thank you.